I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. We went from premature confetti to get the broom snatched out of Boston's hands by sloppy play, bad shooting, and a boost from the refs. Now, a look to close out Philadelphia 76ers at home this Wednesday night. We've got a full slate to talk about, so let's dive right in. I'm Topher Lane, here with Justin Quinn. Justin, you were pretty vocal during the game <laughs> on, on Monday night. How, yeah, how did you feel about everything that went down? Well, a couple different ways. Uh, I'm going to start out with a positive and say that Brett Brown did some impressive work in very unexpected ways to adjust to what has been being thrown at him for the last couple of games. And it worked in a way that I never would have even begun to imagine. This is like literally the most improbable. It's even more improbable than Terry Rozier stepping into Kyrie Irving's shoes pretty effectively. TJ McConnell. Yeah. I was going to say, was this T was this Brett Brown or TJ McConnell being, I don't even know what a comparison is, but he was unreal. TJ McConnell was, was... He's barely played all series, and just because... I mean, he was an undrafted pickup, you know, he saved their series for them last night, so it was worth it if for nothing else than that. But really the key to the game, despite how vocal I was about other things, which we can get to in a second, was him picking up Terry Rozier basically all the way down the court, and keeping him from being able to run run plays right down Philly's throat. And he was at really good offensively speaking, too. Like, he had the game of his life. It was, I think, a career high of 19 points. Yeah. It was really, really unexpected. So kudos to the 76ers. I was following, you know, I was watching the game on my phone. I was at work, but I was watching the game on my phone. And then I also was refreshing Twitter as often as I could because I couldn't put all my attention to the game. So I was kind of keeping up with both. And... Do you think there was a bit of an overreaction with TJ McConnell? I think he did play a great game, and he's part of why the Sixers are still in this series. But also, there were tweets even from Celtics writers writing about how here are all the point guards that went above TJ McConnell in the draft. It's like people who are like, oh, Giannis was picked behind all these people. And it's like, no, there's a bad... <laughs> no, like TJ McConnell is not someone anybody should have been targeting higher in the draft because he had a good game for... Like three years after he went or he committed to the draft. It's there's that- a reason. Yeah, there's a reason why it worked. And it's just because it's, he is such a mediocre player that for him to be the tweak that you make, it, it let's be honest, it reeks of desperation, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And that is for the vacuum take very important. But for the bigger picture, let's be honest. If Brad Stevens can't find a way to neutralize T.J. McConnell, I think I will be utterly flabbergasted and disappointed in his coaching for the first time ever. If there's another T.J. McConnell game and we go to yet another game, I will actually say Brad had a bad coaching game. This on game four, you think he had a bad coaching game? Uh, In this particular game, no. Just because they didn't really have enough time to adjust to that on the fly. They, they tried some stuff, and they kind of got it under control as the game went on. Terry Rozier started to become a little bit more effective in the fourth quarter, but by then the game was already decided by something, you know, we haven't really spoken too much about early yeah. on, shifting the momentum, which is great. You know, I think, that, I think honestly, I think the 76ers had a very good chance of winning the game 
regardless of how you feel about this other phantom issue we keep dancing around, which is the officiating. What did you think about that after, after you know, since you didn't see the game? No, I maybe... did. I did, and especially in the first half, which is when mm-hmm. I was able to really watch the game. Uh, well, that was one of the worst, yeah. Exactly. I was I was really upset. And I, 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 I'm not someone who typically likes to, to talk about, you know, the officiating affecting a game, but it, it seemed very hard to believe that there were 16 fouls for the Celtics in the first half to eight that the 76ers had. I think that I'm not sure if it was just that there were lack of calls coming for the Celtics or if there were just more calls coming for the Sixers. There were some that I felt that were kind of ridiculous on both sides, you know, but absence of a three second call. That was really the worst, but like things like, like Simmons falling on Marcus smart being a foul, just, I don't don't even understand how that happened. Like, honestly, maybe they saw something I didn't, whatever, but collectively speaking, I, you know, I really try to stay away from tinfoil hat kind of narratives, but, and this at least, but at least in the first half, it was very hard for me to believe that the game wasn't being called extraordinarily tight and extraordinarily one-sided. Maybe, maybe they made it up for it in the second half. Ultimately they ended up shooting the same number of free throws, 26 for 26. But by that time, the momentum had pretty much swung in one direction. And, you know, I, I keep, I keep wanting to remind myself that you should never be in a position where officiating should decide a game, but these teams are pretty closely evenly matched in the current state. And, it just really sucked for it to be that way. I really much yeah, well, that, that that'd be way. that'd be my counter argument for you, you saying that Brad Stevens had one of his his worst coach games. Well, the worst coach game this series is that this team was rattled by the officiating. This team was was really just shaken by you know these calls that they felt like they should be getting or that they had, that they had twelve fouls on four players by the buzzer sounding for the end of the first half. There were, there were four guys with three fouls going into halftime. And this team was, was really shaken by that. I wasn't saying, by the way, that, that he had a bad game. What I was saying was, if he does not adjust to this with a day of space between the games, then I will say that he's had a bad game. He actually did a very good job. I think that Tech actually... Was an intentional tech. Yeah, I think it was designed to try to get the guys into it in this game and in the future to draw on. So I, I don't. I don't think he had a bad game. No, and that, that's what I was saying when I was talking to you know the, the podcast group. I was I was saying I really hope that he gets angry and gets ejected because one that would be kind of kind <laughs> of it, it would be. I mean, firstly it would rally the team, but then also the fans. Like everyone would be really. I mean, I, you know, we decide we're going to lose game four, right? You know, and, and that'd be like kind of a last-ditch effort to be like, you know what, I'm going to stand up to both the league and these refs and fire up my team while I'm at it. And that that's we've seen that in other sports, in baseball, in basketball. I, you know, Jim Beheim absolutely did that against Duke oh, when there was that ludicrous foul called when C.J. Fair was called for an offensive foul that one time. He did it to try and get the team motivated. But, you know, sometimes coaches just have to make those decisions to do so and i think stevens did that just in his own controlled way where he's not gonna get ejected he's gonna get a technical right after jalen got a technical and it was like a six point swing right there because it was already a three-point play and then <laughs> then it was the tech on jalen he left him in too yeah because yeah, he wanted to and then he was, just being, <laughs> he was mad it was great but so that, that's what i wanted to see and i'm really happy i did but 
you know, I, I would also would have liked to have seen him go even harder and actually get ejected, but I, I understand why Brad Stevens, of all people, would not do that. So, I, you know, I, I think that it's important that, that that happened, and I think that that was very calculated Brad Stevens in that sense. So I, I think that he coached well enough, but just that that entire thing just shook the team, and, and they, they knew that they weren't going to win that game. And you can, like you said, you can find some tinfoil hat scenarios. But oh yeah, there's it, people you know, saying think, that the league is trying to push push it for extra games just because of the revenue loss from last season. And you know, I do think you know Keith Smith made a tweet. Uh, he's he's a pretty popular guy out there for you for you Celtics and Cap nerds uh, fans. He was he was tweeting that the league is uh, shall we say transparent about uh, who it assigns to certain games. Tony Brothers being a particular. Name that comes to mind, considering that the last seven playoff games that Boston has had him officiate, they have lost, which could be a coincidence. It certainly could be a coincidence. But I, I it's it's really, let's just say, I mean, look, Wick Grousebeck is going to make extra money because of this because he's going to have another home game out of it. He's not complaining, and the league is not complaining, and when the players get the revenue distribution – it's going to blunt the blow, even if they are complaining now. But for the fans, it's not its not that we think that there is, at least most of us think that there is an intentional message being sent down the line saying, hey, make sure the Celtics don't win this game. But you'll notice, if you pay attention, that when it's getting close to a, a sweep of a series, it's not uncommon for a game to suddenly be called very, very, very tightly. And that is through the course of the game what ended up happening. So, uh, you know, you can make that argument that there was never a targeted instance to make the Celtics lose, rather to keep the game tight and close. Well, on the other side of the Eastern Conference playoffs, you have the Cavs who completed the sweep against the Raptors, which is a disgusting game four. I mean, just really, I mean, that was just like, if you're a Raptor, that was traumatizing. If you're a Raptors fan, the fact that there is now a meme, because on, on multiple broadcasts, they've called LeBron, LeBrontosaurus. Like, the, the Raptors have run into a LeBrontosaurus, or LeBronto, because he now owns Toronto. Like, there's, there's all these things that broadcasters are saying now, because he's just destroyed them. Year in and year out in the playoffs, it's this like, year it was them. They they whoa. destroyed themselves. Kind of. They themselves. I mean, game three, they they surged back and they were about to force overtime when LeBron hit an unreal game winner. But you know, yeah, I don't, I, I, yeah, I, I've been high on Toronto. We should get Luis on here because he is. He doesn't like him. He is. He thinks they need to break up. Like Backstreet Boys style, he thinks they need to just all go their separate ways, start start their own solo careers elsewhere. I think that they should be a good destination for a disgruntled sign-in trade. It may not necessarily be Kawhi Leonard, for example, but there's probably going to be somebody out there who's worth, who's better than a lot of their bench pieces. You know, pick a couple of their bench pieces they like and a couple of ones they want to get rid of and throw in a pick and see if that can get them somebody to kind of like shore up their second unit or maybe even a starting unit. Carmelo maybe they can get off of a Baca. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> the Thunder want to yeah. move him. He definitely doesn't work in OKC. 
Absolutely. There's yes. a reason for that, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to sure. say it because I'm a nice person. Oh. oh, all right. I got to <laughs> do the wash, by the way. I don't know why that's relevant to a podcast, but moving along. Well. <laughs> Talking about wash things, in case it's not incredibly clear. So, we have the Raptors getting absolutely decimated by, by LeBron and Cleveland. How is that something the league wouldn't want to step in on? I mean, Cleveland and, and Golden State have become a really worn out storyline where people are saying they don't want to watch a repeat of this finals that's happened three times in a row. So I don't think the league wants to dictate who plays. I think the league just wants to make sure that as much money can be made as possible. Well, so then why don't they put more money in or why don't they make an effort to postpone or, or lengthen the series between Cleveland and Toronto? I mean, I would say that the Pacers series was really entertaining and the first time that LeBron has been brought to a game seven in the first round. So that made its own money. Why not at least force a couple more games? And it's really clear that there wasn't any interference whatsoever in last night's game, Monday night. No, they didn't need to, did they? Oh, God, now I feel like I'm wearing the tinfoil hat. But Boston played earlier. That's my only answer. As in, like, from a viewership standpoint, more people are going to watch the second game if it's been a... Yeah, and you can also make the argument, too, that... If you do, if you do want more games, that you want to see more LeBron games, but again, control it while you can control it because they're not rigging the games; they're just making adjustments in the officiating that are going to favor a a losing team to be more likely to come out on top by keeping the score. Excuse me, the score close. Mm. I'm going with that for now before we go into you know professional wrestling type views of the sport. I, I don't think we need to go quite that deep down the rabbit hole, but I understand the logic of trying to keep it. I mean, with the TV money situation still hanging over the league in terms of available cap space and lack of cap growth, I understand the desire to make sure that teams aren't faced with yet another season where the cap is actually slightly smaller than anticipated rather than larger. Okay. Well, so then let's, let's kind of get back to where we're at. We're at least going to a game five, the Celtics. Do you think we close it out at home? Uh, yeah. I really don't see after dealing with that crap how they aren't going to be super angry. The The home crowd is going to be super agitated. I really – the only thing that was is going to save Philly tomorrow or Wednesday night is going to be amazing, amazing play from, from their best players. Not TJ McConnell, no offense – you had a great night, but you aren't going to be the difference in this series. It's just not happening. So if that happens and they do win on our home floor with a hopefully exceptionally motivated Celtics team, then more power to them, and it'll create an even crazier narrative. I don't want to deal with that narrative personally like most of you, but I do think we close them out. Do you think that the Shane Larkin injury, this is kind of an aside, do you think the Shane Larkin injury, which I haven't heard much about yet, but do you think that that affects the longevity of this team's run this playoffs? Because I mean, we're already already shy, short on guards. Yeah, somebody turning their ankle on this roster is going to affect our longevity, really. Though, to be honest, if Kevin Love keeps playing this way and LeBron is just being LeBron, and they can kind of keep rolling in Cleveland, assuming we get past Philadelphia, which I think regardless of what happens with Larkin, we're going to. Uh, I could be wrong. You never know. But Well, no team seven-game era has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. 
Never. Exactly. And I, this is not the team that's going to do it. They just don't have the, the – I mean, if they had LeBron on them, I might believe it. But they don't, and they won't. So, I mean, if you look ahead to Cleveland, I, I just – I would not be surprised if we have a very competitive series based on what I've seen. But yet again, I have been chastised despite shittier than ever – surroundings for LeBron in terms of in terms of teammates, he is still performing and really all he needs is just one other person to be able to play at an all-star level next to him for them to be real contenders. And as long as Kevin Love is playing like this, then I don't know. I don't know if we can beat them in the next round. It's really, you know, if we had an injection of talent that we have been told so many times we're not going to get, maybe it might be possible. Not that I expect a Gordon Hayward return, for example, to be the difference maker based on how sloppy and out of shape he's likely to be. But, yeah, at this point, I'm, I'm not real convinced that uh, Larkin is going to matter much more than <laughs> maybe a gamer. Maybe not. Let's take one more step on the conspiracy and say that the NBA wanted to prolong the series to make it more likely that Gordon Hayward returns. Because <laughs> that, that, that would be a storyline. <laughs> That would be that, that is <laughs> that is like tinfoil top hat. Material. Yeah, it is, and that's a good. St- I like that. I like. I'm suddenly a lot more cool with this scenario of the refs having affected this game in an effort to to bring back Gordon Hayward before the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, you have another point that you like to bring up a lot, <laughs> and you've you've convinced me of its legitimacy, which is that the Celtics really are a better team when they haven't had a chance to rest and mm-hmm. you know think about the fact that they're playing with 45 or 50 percent of their actually good players yeah the celtics have their of like you know the possible scenarios their best record comes when they have less rest against their opponent so and that that's been the case you know game one against the sixers came out swinging took game one obviously you can't do anything with game twos but like even going into the first round, I think that we had played one day after Milwaukee's last game. So there's that. Yeah, we're like 28 and 7 or something with less rest than our opponents. Makes no sense, but I'm believing in it because it keeps coming out in the wash. So Something to do with Brad Stevens because in his career, especially second night of back-to-backs, the Celtics have like the best record in the last four years of any team. Absolutely true. Since Brad Stevens has been coaching. And I, I, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know how he does it, how he motivates his team, or how he navigates rest during game one of those back-to-backs, or how he goes about it. I have no idea. But for some reason, he just really gets his team to play on those second nights. But then they go on rest, and they like don't have practice or something one day, and then they come out after like the London break. Great example. Came out after, after having basically a week off, and then suddenly just we're complete trash for the next two games. <laughs> it's true. And it, it doesn't make sense. It's like when they have rest, it's like maybe he just runs out of things. To, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But for whatever reason, team is better. And that could be the case. You know, Celtics are going to come into the Eastern Conference Finals, assuming we win one of the next three games. Then we're going to have less rest than Cleveland and Jazz. And it's going to be awesome. some other stuff motivating them to win this next game also at the form of 
and pee. Yeah. Running his mouth. Yeah. I love so. What are, you, what are your thoughts? So, I partic- I I was really excited when Terry got in his face and like when he when he went for the actual. I, I guess so. MB was trying to take the ball from him, right? And he just kept like kind of pulling it away from him, and then they just kind of started scuffling, and then now it was fun. I I looked at Bill Simmons' tweet about it, and he was saying I don't remember what it was, but I was reading the comments about the tweet about it. And there were people who were like, Rozier took a swing at him. He should have been ejected. And I was like, oh, geez. So <laughs> I, I really like the narrative of now that this is pitting Philly fans against Celtics fans. And that also we have just like this face of this rivalry now, at least for this series. I don't I, – I have becoming to hate Embiid more and more and more and more because he's just a total dick. <laughs> I like him off court. I, I think he's. I don't. Uh, I do. I think his social media presence is very amusing, but much like Marcus Morris, his uh, shall we say, trash talk in, in scare quotes uh, that that you know received the three fingers and then the zero sign from Mr. Dude, Morris. that was awesome. I need a gif of that. I need to make that gif. That was phenomenal. It was. It was. It was the the comeback, really. especially for my for my Sixers fan, my my friend who's a Sixers fan. Mm-hmm. He was texting me. He waited till the buzzer. One because in our group chat, if you trash talk before the final buzzer, your team is going to lose. It's yeah, like it's, it's a every rule. time, every time that has happened. Because my my like all my friends in that group chat went to MSU and they trash talked me during the SU MSU game. Uh, he trash talked me during game two when they were up like 25 and then he started trash talking and all of a sudden the Celtics come back right seriously in that group chat it's like oh and seven if you trash talk before the final buzzer so he waited and he said tj mcconnell baby bow to your master and i really wish i'd had the gif of the three nothing of morris just like because that's what i needed right there like you cannot trash talk when you're down three one you can't it's a corollary of talking about no hitters you don't do it what, wait, wait. Are you are you referencing baseball? You hate baseball. I do. <laughs> wait, what? what, what, what <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not completely. I mean, I, I am aware of certain. Wait, so what do you mean? If you're trash talking during a no hitter, or if you break up a no hitter? Like, no, you, you... you're not supposed to talk about a no hitter in the middle of a no hitter. Oh, well, that's Bad like luck. a jinx. That's different. Well, it kind of isn't though, because. If you start being, you know, hubristic and enjoying your 25-point lead instead of talking some smack, I mean, I think it's okay for if you're on the court as a player, but as a fan, you know, it's like it's like commenting about how great the traffic is on the highway when you're not even halfway home. Ooh. You don't do okay. it. Okay. I can feel that. All right. I can I can accept that. So, all right. So then this this brings us to are they were both teed up, Rogier and, and Embiid, mm-hmm. which brings us to one of our. Each other. I know. I really wish that they. I, I wish I've been watching a lot more hockey lately, and I really wish the refs would have just let him kind of go at it for a sec. Because I think Terry would have won that fight. I know he's got like eight inches on him, Embiid, but I still think Terry would have totally taken that. I mean, he took out he took out Larkin, and Larkin wasn't even trying to fight him. Yeah. Well, so double text for them brings us to one of our new segments. Who would win? Now, Embiid and Scary Terry. What are our t- what are our topics, sir? What do you got? 
Well, for the, for the listeners who missed the first installation, this is really just a way to settle disputes between Celtics and non-Celtics, or even, you know, potentially in the future, should we ever have an issue, let's hope not, uh, between Celtics, just a way to settle things off the court. And it's purely hypothetical. It's just off the top of our heads. We have not plan out anything but the topics that we've shared with each other, and we're going to plead the case for each of them in a best of five with a tiebreaker. We need one last time as well among all kinds of non-basketball-related skill competitions. So, we should absolutely, with that explanation, we should absolutely do a Ray Allen Rajon Rondo. We absolutely should. Yeah, so look forward to that. (laughs) That's going to come soon. Yeah. But that'll be our first our first off season installation of, of who would win. Alright, but this one. Alright, Embiid, Scary Terry. The competitions. Debate Club. Bowling. MasterChef. Directing the film for cans and trolling. Yeah. Tiebreaker figure skating, we'll see if we need it. So, debate club. Um Yeah, I, I would say Embiid, actually. Do you think so? I just think that he would. I think he would just be very childish about it and frustrate Terry to the point where he would just quit. <laughs> you know, I think he. I think he'd be like a very childish kid. Mm, yeah, based on the last game, you might be right. It's pretty close for me. The way I'm looking at it, I will, the way I was looking at it is that Terry tends to back things up with empirical facts, basically his performance. So like his stats? Yeah, yeah. got it. Well, Embiid tends to try to get in people's heads to augment his his performance, on-court performance. So in debate club, I was initially thinking that the judges would just go with what Terry does versus what Embiid says. However, if you get somebody flustered so they can't even perform in any situation, you might just take them out and, you know, it wasn't really, you know, T.J. McConnell was doing most of the flustering for Terry in this last game, but Embiid definitely got in his head, so I will give him the edge just this one time for the big club. Unanimous. All right. Bowling. You start. Well, for me, this is pretty simple. Bowling is a dangerous sport, particularly for NBA players. I mean, Philadelphia is no stranger to big men with knee problems destroying themselves and their careers with bowling. So, that said, I'm giving this one to Terry. You got a better argument? No, no, I'll I'll take that. I'll take take scary Terry every day there. Master Chef. Whew. Both of them can cook some shit up, man, but I'm only going to be eating what Terry is cooking up because there's a lot of bullshit in what Joel throws on court. So. What, what do you think uh, they would make? What do you think their their main course would be? Because that, that's how I decide. That is hard to say. Oh, boy. Well, in Bede's case, I think we would get some fusion cuisine, seeing as he is quite a multicultural person, can speak fluently in multiple languages. Uh, I think he'd make like a gumbo. Yeah, that would be a pretty iconic fusion dish, too. It's got some African influence. It's got some French 
influence. It's got a bunch of different influences that are actually pretty reflective of him, so that's pretty effective. And yeah. I think I may have just tucked myself into an L for Terry here. Because <laughs> the man makes sandwiches out of sugar and ranch dressing and spaghetti, and I'm not eating that. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll take uh, Joel on this one. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Directing a film for Kent's. Now, if it were acting, I think it would easily be Embiid. Yeah. However, a director needs to be able to control the pace and the direction, make sure that things really have the punch when they need it, and make sure that everyone's where they need to be. And while Embiid is not horrible at a lot of these things, he's definitely not a master. I think this one easily goes to Terry. Well, point guard naturally is a director. It is. Yeah. It's the truth. They just fit. They fit more of the scenario. Yep. Sure. Can I ask how you came up with this topic? You put this one. In. Can I ask how you came up? Um, I really don't have an answer other than that. I felt that he might have an advantage as a point guard. That's really all I had. I wanted to make sure that you know Terry had a fighting chance in this. So. <laughs> all right. Trolling. What do you got? Man, I would have at one time said that it was a very easy, obvious win for Joel Embiid. However, you can now buy a t-shirt of Scary Terry with confetti on it. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw the whole last series how he can troll without even trolling. Like he would pretend he was not trolling while forcing his opponent in the last issue of who would win, Eric Bledsoe, to basically react almost the entire time and really ultimately just, he didn't just troll in a way that I think was humorous. He trolled in a way that I think really got inside Bledsoe's head and might actually have been the difference in that series. Yeah. So given the punctuation of Terry's trolling versus the history, I'm going to argue it was a push. All right, yeah, I'll take that. I think I think we found it. We got. Uh, I'll, I'll agree with that, and I'll say that the Drew Bledsoe stuff was phenomenal and was absolutely a difference in that series. And as such, I think Terry's got it personally. Okay, so you think it's Terry, and I think it's a push, which makes it just slightly ahead for Terry. If I'm a tie and you're a Terry, so I guess we don't need the figure skating tie. And then this probably. Not too surprising outcome. We picked Terry Rosier. Yep. So what does that what does that mean? Does that mean that therefore it should have just been a tech on Embiid? <laughs> what is this? What is, or just just decide that Terry is just a better basketball player? I mean, if you gave me the option to take either one of them, I would actually pick Terry Rosier. Not because I think Terry is a better player, just because I, I think he's going to be playing basketball in five years, and I'm a lot less certain about Joel Embiid. Mm. Bigs with knee problems, not very high. I've talked about it before. So, on to... Immediately after this kind of went down between Terry and Embiid, you had Jalen and Brad got hit with text. 
do you think we kind of touched on it earlier? Do you think this does motivate the team to play better? I do. Uh, I also think that you know Jalen had some comments after the game that he didn't even understand where that came from, and I kept checking to see what it could possibly have been that got him the tech for that. If anybody out there has a better awareness of, of what it was that got him the tech for that. Like there was a tech I think called against Jason Tatum. Was it a tech or was it a foul? It was a foul for throwing the ball up in the air. That was pretty weak sauce, but you know, at least I could point to what it was that he did that was ridiculous to got him a foul. In the case of, of Jalen, like I was confused. I thought it was Brad getting the tech before Brad got the tech. Yeah, me too. Because he was just walking away. He just was his back to the referee. Like, how do you get a technical foul for that? Maybe someone said something he thought it was Jalen. That's really the only thing I can think of. Yeah, well, they uh, he said he's going to reach out to the league and kind of see if he can get some kind of explanation. And I'd be really interested to see what he finds out. Because it's just like, it seemed pretty ludicrous. To me, at least. Maybe, maybe again, maybe it was just something we missed. But it didn't seem like anybody had any conclusive explanation as to why that had happened. But... I, I mean, we'll, we'll see what the, the league ends up saying. As such, like we said earlier, that was a five-point swing, I think. Five or six-point swing. I think it was five-point swing. Yeah, and that, that made it, I think, a four-point game to a nine-point game, which pretty quickly, I, don't, I wouldn't say put it out of reach, but just that and, and the combination of the team being rattled and all that just made it a lot harder for anybody to surge some kind of comeback, at least in game four. With the exception of T.J. McConnell, <laughs> with a comeback, I, I would argue not just T.J. McConnell. I would also argue Jason Tatum has been the one stabilizing force, basically through midway through the Bucks. I mean, he was he was kind of eh in the first half of the Bucks series, but basically about halfway through the Bucks season on, he's been amazing, and he was amazing last night too. It wasn't enough, particularly with him getting. I, I think he would have had an even bigger game had he not picked up all those fouls early. Yeah, because I would but, say this is the only game that wasn't a convincing... You know, he squeaked out 20 points in, in game four, which... Made some history, though. Yeah, he did. First uh, first rookie to score 20-plus in five consecutive postseason games since Larry Legend, which is a pretty, first, pretty good company. First to do it in six games since Paul Pierce. Yeah, 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 yeah outside of rookies, period. just like in general. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah, awesome. Silver lining there. Yeah, but so it's, you know, I I think that that that's definitely a, a yeah, silver lining is good there. Good to look towards that. But I mean, bigger picture. Well, one, I mean, the kid's playing out of his mind. <laughs> I need to stick with this because I'm a, I'm a huge Jason Jason Tatum fan. I've talked about it. I've got his jersey. I love him. He's awesome. But now, bigger picture, can he sustain this and help the team through? this series and possibly next. I don't think he's going to have a big game. I think he's going to have his first non-20-point game. Not a bad game necessarily, but I think Jalen. I think Jalen is going to have a monster night. I think he's yeah. easy. In part because he's fighting from the tech? Fighting from the tech. He looked most of the way recovered. You know, he still wasn't quite as fast as he has been in the past since he hurt his hamstring. But he showed a lot less hesitation. He showed a lot more fluidity in guarding. And I think with another day off, as long as he didn't hurt it in some way uh, that we didn't notice in the last game, I think he's poised to have a really big game. I think he's going to be just about recovered from a grade one by then. Al's been terrific. He's been unreal. 
this entire se- well, this entire playoffs, Al Horford's been off the charts. I mean, realistically, only JJ Redick has had more playoff experience, or comparable, not even more. He's had less, but in the same range, he's got something like nine or ten years of playoff experience and ninety something games of playoff experience uh, collectively through the teams he's been on over the years. So, if you look at it that way, it's not that surprising. It's really only surprising to a lot of people who have been questioning his value or don't understand what he does. And, you know, now I think just about everybody has had really good views because he has not just been, he's not just been, you know, having good games. He has been saving himself for the playoffs and it's really showing. I mean, I don't think there's been a game that I can remember. I mean, he only had, I think like 10, 10 and 10 or something like that in last night's game, but he has had a double double in just about every game since at least the Bucks and, series. I mean, that earlier. last on Monday night, he had a ton of blocks, and there were a lot of possessions where he was just stifling the Sixers at the rim, and and even like sticking with Embiid, like he was making really good plays defensively, and that that's something that we we know regularly gets overlooked with Al Horford, but. It's really it's it's great to see what he can do, and I'll be really interested to see him on Kevin Love in the next series because I think that that'd be really valuable. And then Baines can just hang out in the paint with Tristan Thompson. So you know, I, I think it's going to be. I, I'm really really psyched with how well Al Horford's been playing. And I think he's going to keep it up. I, I think that he's more likely to keep it up than Tatum is with his play, but I think Tatum will just have a couple bad games and then he'll surge back and get back to his form, especially because there's not going to be anyone to defend him, you know? Like, at least in, in this series, there's there's more defensive-minded yeah. players on the Sixers. But against Cleveland? Like, who? Unless you put LeBron on him straight up, which, like, that'd be bad. But then Jalen gets free reign over J.R. Smith, over Kyle Korver. I mean, like, who, who do you have <laughs> to yeah. stop, like, any of our wings? So... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a good option for Cleveland. But, I, no, I think Horford right now has just been unreal. And this has been the toughest matchup that he's had this, this postseason from an offensive standpoint. But even then, he's still making plays. He's still making – he's running point guards some of the time. And he's doing a damn good job doing it. What are your thoughts on Aaron shooting the corner? Three? I dig it. I like the, the big man who can shoot. And he's been he's been consistent. I do too. I think it bodes very well for his future, whether he's with the Celtics next season or not. I hope he is. I love him. Seeing, yeah, I think he's going to be. I think as long as he doesn't have any, well, I'm not even say that loud. As long as things go well for him, yeah. Yeah, we go back to our (laughs) chinks conversation. He could very easily. He could exactly. He could very. He could very easily price himself. He may have already priced himself out of a mid-level exception for us. If people really view that three-pointer as being a sustainable, uh, expandable part of his game, however, I do have one criticism, and I think they were running that play for him a little bit too much in in game four. I think it started to get a little bit predictable, and they were just perfectly happy to let him shoot it because. You know, he's shooting it, I think, around in, in the 30s uh, in terms of how yeah, often he's hitting. He airballed checked, one. But it seems, it seems And, you know, that's the thing you can live with. It's, it's a nice wrinkle to keep Embiid out of the paint, but Embiid being in the paint wasn't really the problem last no. night. No. So hopefully they adjust for that. No. But 
I, you know, I, I think um, I've come a long way. You know, you go back to the very beginning of the season when Mark and I had the 2K podcast, and I was talking about how much I hate Aaron Baines. <laughs> and how I was like, I, I think he's, he's worthless. I hope he doesn't get any minutes. I hope Yabu gets all the minutes. And then I've just come such a long way to the point where I really like Aaron Baines, and I hope he is, is a part of his team moving forward. But, you know, I, that's just me. I, <laughs> I know that some fans aren't nearly as high on him as, as you and I are probably. But I, I like what he's brought to this team, and especially as he's kind of evolved towards kind of the modern big man, even in the course of just this this season from October till now. It's really it's pretty cool. Poor man's Mark Gasol. Yeah, Absolutely. and he's it came at a cheap cheap cost, and I, I really Compared really appreciate him. that. Yeah. So he's been a, he's been a big important part of this team, and especially from a defensive standpoint, something that again regularly gets overlooked. He was among the top 10 in defensive plus minus along with you know Marcus Smart and Al Horford he was up there and and that's that's part of what makes this team as good as it is defensively so man goes up and down like a brick wall he does. man does not yeah, fall. <laughs> he does yesterday or he does on Monday <laughs> well I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure he did but uh, that's that's there's a there's a horse it's not alive and I keep hitting it so All I'm right. gonna stop is the grass greener <laughs> We got two warmer Celtics. I'll start with my favorite, Amir Johnson. You remember my poem? Ode to Amir? That was quality. That was quality. I liked Amir. Big fan. Dude was a dude was a poor man Aaron Baines. <laughs> he was. We made a, a slight upgrade. Slow. Could you could you just break down what the segment is for? Yes, is the grass greener. We look at former Celtics in other situations and we question and and take a magnifying glass at whether their situation is better now or if the grass was in fact greener on the green side with the Celtics. Now, Jared Bayless and Amir Johnson, both on the 76ers. We've been doing a good job with the playoff edition of, of these is the grass greener because we looked at you know Jason Terry and Tyler Zeller with the Bucks, and now we're looking at Amir and Jared over on the Sixers. Obviously, Amir was the most recent. Jared played... Sometime with us, yeah. Brad's first year, yeah, and then Brad's first year was one of the guys that got moved. So he, uh, Jared, is not really seeing any time. <laughs> he did over the course of the regular season, but he's not really seeing anything in, in the playoffs. Just not effective, yeah. And you know, against a team that is you know really tight defensively, he just isn't going to find any. He's he's too old to find exploits in in the defense. I think. Personally, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Probably 28, I think. He just seems that. like he's been in the league for forever, and he just seems like he doesn't quite. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he needs like kind of the Shane Larkin revitalization of his career somewhere else. But it's not with Philly. Yeah, it's not. Maybe it's not with Philly. For that. And I, I would say that it was much better in Boston than it is in Philly. And I would I would say that he would probably be seeing more time with the Celtics than he is with the Sixers in this playoff series. Well, I mean, his regular season playing time is virtually unchanged between 2013-14 Boston and 2017-18 Philly. Boston. He did. He had a much bigger role in Boston. You know, he was scoring 10 points per game. You know, he's, he was scoring 8 points per game for Philly on, on less minutes. So his production level isn't that different. He, he has become a more reliable shooter overall, but his three-point shooting was actually pretty good in Boston, almost uh, 40%, 0.395. Uh, 
now 0.370 you still got to close out on him but you're not you're not going to you know game plan for him particularly not in the playoffs like as you said he played like just 2 minutes of playoff time so far and you really have to ask the question though for a guy of his stature what is important like a what's important for a Jared Bayless style player Exactly. I mean, he's the, the quintessential journeyman. You know, he's not winning a ring with either club. You gotta have a role. You gotta have like a you know, so like Jamal Jamal Crawford is kind of a similar player for me, and his role is just like a microwave player off the bench, who is just gonna he's gonna come out and he's gonna get hot and he's gonna score for you. But that's really all that I think that he supplies. I think Bayless needs to find that kind of niche. Of either he's a sharpshooter or he's a guy that you can insert to soak up minutes and, and put a, pat, a scoring punch off the bench, things like that. And I just don't think he has that quite yet. Yeah, but he's making more money, more than twice as much as he made with Boston. He made well, just yeah, three million with Boston. Jumped from thirteen, fourteen. The Caps jumped like twenty nine million dollars. <laughs> like I mean, if you like just the. The percentage so change, like he's actually just a little bit better off. But you don't retire on percentage of the cap change, you retire on a cold, hard cash. Sure. You know, so for me, I think it's, it's really hard to judge whether or not Jared has a better situation now. I'm going to go with a better situation in Boston because he was probably set anyway by then. You know, he'd been in the league for about a half decade before that. So... I don't know. I think maybe being kind of more important, you know, he's basically a nobody to this Philly team, even when he was playing more, just in the background. And in that that particular iteration of the Celtics, which was a pretty bad Celtics team, I think the only guy who was even on that team who's still with us is Smart. Yeah, it was his rookie year, right? He was kind of a... Yeah. Yep. It that, was, was. that was a tough, tough year. But from that money perspective, Amir made more with the Celtics. He was signed to that I think it was a $24 million a year, two years, 12 mil, yeah. two year. Well, yeah, 12 mil over each year. And he had a bigger role in Boston. He's now making 11 and he had more time in Boston and he had more minutes and he had more points and he had more rebounds and he had more assists. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And that, he was, he was great. Stevens really liked him. He played a lot of opening. He didn't play a lot late game, but you know, he would start games he would play you know, some time in the first quarter. He'd play most of the second, and then he'd be pulled and wouldn't see much in the late game. Yeah. He basically got about five good minutes out of his knees. Yeah. But, no, yeah, absolutely, I think grass was greener in Boston for a year. Yep. I'm not going to argue against that. I mean, there is something to be said for somebody handing you, you know, north of $10 million to do what he's doing for for – the 76ers, which is not that much. You know, he's not really contributing too much. He's, he's a great locker room presence, and he can provide a modicum of defense that they don't necessarily have from some of their players. But he's not very important to anything that they do. So, I mean, it's kind of just like a really nice... Yeah. Is it a one-year deal that he's on? Uh, uh, one-year, 11 million. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's not the worst, but I, I don't think he's going to find a great situation coming into next off season. He'll probably he'll probably keep taking another pay cut. He'll get a vet minimum. You might get you might be able to get a little bit more on that based on his ability to continue you know he hasn't been very effective this season. He's only shooting a 313 from 3 where 
with the Celtics, he was shooting uh, over over forty percent. Though, I mean, they were very <laughs> slow and not very often. So, well, he had I mean, yeah. There's there's something to be said for staying alive in your career when it's basically over. He would have had to take the vet men to stay with Boston. So, I mean, he made some money. He's still doing what he was doing. He wouldn't have been able to do that with us. There is there is an argument there that, you know, maybe the grass is greener in Philly considering what he might want to do versus what he can with Boston. But personally, I agree with you, Boston. Yeah. Cool. Well, check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com where we have a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store. You can even get tickets to the next game under that in Game 5. Let's play some must-win basketball. Let's play some elimination basketball. Let's get him out of here. <laughs> you can also find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, yeah. and most podcatcher apps. You can subscribe so you don't ever, ever miss any of our incredibly informative and personally, I think, quite aesthetically enjoyable Frankly, episodes. very fun episodes, yeah. You know? I think so. Look forward to that uh, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be good. <laughs> Instant classic, as they say. If you like what you hear, make sure you rate us five stars. And if you don't like something, or you just have a suggestion, you know, you have some ideas for some of these segments and people who should be in them, or you never want to hear in them, uh, let us know. Any Celtics Life article, any Twitter comment from the Celtics Life account uh, with the hashtag CLPOD, C-L-P-O-D, let us know. We are always trying to bring you the Celtics coverage the way you want it, the way that you like it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys.